Let's go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 2. The Gospel of Mark, chapter number 2. And we'll begin reading here in verse number 13. And we'll read down to verse number 17. So the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 2. Uh, Beginning in verse number 13, and we'll be reading down to verse number 17. All right. All right. Mark 2, beginning in verse 13, the Bible says, And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, setting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in the house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are and for all that you have done. God, you have been so faithful to us. God, you have been so good to us. You have blessed us, Lord, in innumerable ways. And Father God, I pray that we would respond, Lord, to you with hearts of submission Lord, with hearts of love and hearts of devotion, God, God, for all that you've done for us. God, I thank you, Lord, for saving me. God, I thank you, Lord, for changing my life. Lord, I thank you, God, for, uh, Lord, just all you've done in and through me, Father. And God, so many in this room can testify of your grace within their life, God. And I'm sure that they would say the same thing. God, that they would give you glory and praise, Father, for changing them. And, and Lord, just turning them from a path of destruction to a path of life. And God, we thank you, Lord, that you have come to save sinners. And God, that you have come to call sinners to repentance, God. And we see that in our text before us today. And God, I pray you would help me as I preach and as I teach this morning. And God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would guide me and lead me, God, and help me to say what you'd have me to say. God, help me to be clear as I explain your word and apply your word. And Father God, I pray that everyone here, Lord, would, would uh, would have hearts that are open and ready to hear and ready to listen and And, Lord, would just be teachable, and, Lord, would just be humble enough uh, to receive the truth of your word. God, have your will and way in this preaching part of the service. God, may Christ be exalted, and, Lord, may your word uh, be faithfully exposited. And, Father, I I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, last week, when we were here in Mark chapter number 2, we were talking about the importance of forgiveness. The importance of forgiveness. And forgiveness of sins, as as we saw last week, is really the greatest need of humanity. You know, the greatest need of humanity is not is not economic equality. All right, the greatest need of humanity is not is not even physical health. All right, the greatest need of humanity is not education. All right, the greatest need of humanity is forgiveness. All right, because we are sons and daughters of Adam. Because that sin nature and that curse of sin has been passed down from one generation to the next generation, again, to our generation, again, all of us have been infected by this fatal disease called sin. And because of that, we need help. 
Because of that, we need, we need somebody who can come along and deal with the sin problem. And we praise God that he has made a way to deal with the sin problem. We praise God for Jesus Christ, again, who because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection can forgive us of our sins. And we praise God for that truth. Again, that is the message, the message of reconciliation that we proclaim to the world, the fact that you can be forgiven of your sins. That because of Jesus Christ and what he has done, there is full and free forgiveness to all who will come and all who will avail themselves of the mercy and the grace of God. Again, all who will come and who will repent and trust in Christ and his finished work upon Calvary. And this morning, I want to, again, it, it, this, this is uh, in a similar vein, uh, but again, a little bit of a different angle of, of truth we'll be taking a look at this morning. And I've entitled our message this morning, Good News for Sinners. Good News for Sinners. It has been wisely stated that before a person can get saved, you have to get that person lost. That is one of the principles of evangelism. Whenever you go out and you deal with people about the issue of salvation, one one of the biggest obstacles is the fact that people don't see their need for salvation. You go ask the average person on the street, you ask them, do you think you are a good person? And they will likely answer, yes, I am a good person. Again, and who are you to insinuate anything other than that? Right? And most people, again, would, would don't see their need for forgiveness. Most people would not say, no, I am a sinner in need of salvation. And that is why we use the law of God in evangelism to show people, again, as a mirror, as they look into the law of God, they recognize I don't measure up. I have fallen short of the glory of God. Just as we read in Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. We are all gone out of the way. You know, none of us are, are, have inherent righteousness. We need righteousness. We need forgiveness. We need the grace and mercy of God, again, because we don't have righteousness in and of ourselves. We need his righteousness imputed to us. We need his righteousness. We need to be robed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what comes with salvation. So before a person can get saved, they have to recognize that they are lost. And they are undone. They are without hope. They are without strength. And outside of Jesus Christ, again, they will pay the penalty for their own sins, which is, which is, which is a tragedy. Again, but justice must be satisfied. Again, outside of Jesus Christ, again, we are lost in our sins. We are unclean in the sight of a holy God. We are the enemies of God. We are under the wrath of God. We are going our own way. But if, unless people recognize that, they will never see their need for forgiveness. Unless people recognize that truth, that they are sinful to the core, they will never see their need for a Savior, for a Redeemer, for the grace and the mercy of God. A person who thinks they are healthy will never, they, they don't see their need to seek out the help of a physician. As far as they know, there's, there's no cure they need because they don't have a disease. It is somebody who has a disease, somebody who is unhealthy, somebody who is sick that seeks out the doctor because they recognize that they need a cure. They need medication. They need help from this physician. And so it is in the spiritual realm. Again, the past couple of weeks, we've we've looked at, for example, the healing of this man with leprosy. And then uh, last week we saw this paralytic, this this man sick of the palsy. 
you know, two diseases in Bible times that outside of divine intervention were uncurable. I mean, unless God performed a miracle, I mean, if, if you were a leper or you were a paralytic, again, you were that way till your death. Unless God intervened and did something. And really what we have here are pictures of you and I before we knew Jesus Christ. Before the new birth. Before salvation. We are the leper. We, we are unclean. We have this fatal disease that is infecting us and corrupting us from the inside out. And unless, unless God heals us from it, again, we're without hope. It will lead to our eternal demise. And so it is, again, even with uh, uh, this man we looked at last week, again, he had no hope. He needed his friends to carry him to Christ. And, and, and in and of ourselves, we are without strength, the Bible says. We are without hope. And that is why we need to get to Christ, and we need to be about the business of getting others to Christ, of taking desperate measures to make sure that those around us that we love, again, know about Jesus Christ and know that there is forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't have to pay for their own sins in hell. Christ has paid for their sins, and they can have forgiveness. They can have full and free forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. But people must come face to face with God's holy standard of righteousness. And it is whenever men are awakened to this reality, it is whenever men are awakened to the fact that they are lost, that they are that they are sinful, that they are that they are apart from God, that they are that their sin is leading them down a broad road to destruction. It is then and only then that they see their need for the cure of the gospel. It is then and only then that they recognize their fact that they need God, that they need hope, that they need mercy, that they need the grace of God. Again, that's what Jesus has come to do. He is the great physician. He is the great physician. He is the one who has come to deal with the problem of sin. He is the one who alone can heal the spiritual leprosy that is within us. He is the one that can heal the spiritual paralytic, the, the spiritual, uh, again, palsy man. It is Christ and Christ alone. And in our text today, we are reminded of this good news. Good news for sinners, but only if you're able to recognize your sin. Those who come to Christ, those who recognize that without Christ, they are lost. Without Christ, again, they, they, are, they are heading to hell. Without Jesus Christ, again, their sins will not be forgiven. But again, when they recognize that and they flee to Christ for grace and for forgiveness and for mercy, again, that is, that's the good news of the gospel. Again, the fact that sinners can be cleansed, the fact that sinners can be forgiven, that is the good news of the gospel. And we have that here, and that's really the topic here within our text this morning. So let's go to, let's jump right in uh, to verses 13 through 14. Verses 13, 13 through 14, we find here, first of all, we find the call of a sinner, the call of a sinner. Verse number 13, the Bible says, And he, that is Christ, went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at their seat of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Consider a couple of things with me. First of all, beginning with the place of the call. The place of the call. Last week, we saw that Christ was ministering um, in the city of Capernaum. Now, Capernaum would become the ministry headquarters for Christ, uh, located on the, that northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. And we find here that Christ makes his way down to the Sea of Galilee, 
and he is walking along the seashore. And the Bible says here that the multitudes resorted unto him. All right. So once again, this is early on in his ministry. Um, again, the, the multitudes are flocking to Christ, as we've seen with many other uh, with many other situations. And the Bible says here that he taught them. He taught the multitudes. And again, I won't belabor this point because we've touched on it. But we find here uh, the fact that Christ came primarily to be a teacher, to be a preacher of the word of God, to point men to salvation, to be a herald of salvation before a healer of sickness. All right. Again, yes, he, he performed miracles. He healed the sick. But that was all to authenticate the message of salvation, that the Redeemer had come, that the Messiah had come, that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world had finally come. And that was the message that he preached. Consider, secondly, consider the person of the call, the person of the call. Take a look at verse number 14. It says here, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. And again, we'll continue on. We'll look at the rest of that in just a little bit. What we find here that as Jesus Christ is walking along the seashore, he comes across this man by the name of Levi. Uh, Levi is also referred to as Matthew. Okay, so I might use those names interchangeably, and I'm referring to the same person. All right, so Levi is Matthew. Matthew is Levi. Um, in other gospel accounts, he's called Matthew, but here he's called Levi. And it says here that he is sitting at the receipt of custom. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verse 27, the Bible refers to him as a publican. And you may wonder, what in the world is a publican? A publican was a tax collector for the Roman government. All right, Israel, Israel was under um, Roman occupation during those times, during Bible times. Again, and he was a tax collector for the Roman government. Now, as you can probably guess, uh, publicans were not very popular people, all right, just like tax collectors today. Uh, but for many other reasons, again, they were not very popular in the days of Christ. Now, it says here he was sitting at the receipt of custom. Again, we don't know exactly what that was. It could have been some sort of customs booth uh, located right there on the Sea of Galilee, maybe collecting imports, exports as boats came in and as goods went out of Capernaum. Uh, but what we see in Scripture is the fact that publicans, again, were, were, were looked down upon. All right, publicans were outcast of society because of the fact that they were the worst of the worst. Again, they weren't just ordinary sinners. No, they were the they were the bottom of the barrel kind of sinners. I mean, they they were the worst of the worst. Again, the lowest of the low. Again, you couldn't get quite as bad as a publican, and especially again, they were despised in that day, and especially Jewish men that were publicans. All right, so if you were a Jew and you were a publican. You were ostracized from society. I mean, you were, you were despised. You were looked down upon within that Jewish culture. Jewish people hated publicans. They despised publicans primarily for two reasons. Number one, because Jewish publicans were seen as traitors. All right. They were seen as traitors to the Roman government. All right. How dare a Jewish person, again, forsake his own people and go work for the Roman government? All right, but they were seen as traitors. All right, they were they were ostracized. They were excommunicated from the synagogue, and despised by the Jewish culture or the Jewish society because of that. And then number two, most publicans had a reputation for dishonesty. All right, they were not known for being very honest people. They were known for extortion. Uh, they were known for overcharging people uh, whenever it came to their taxes and pocketing the extra for themselves and becoming rich through dishonest means. 
Alright, so again, you can tell, again, you can understand why these publicans were not very popular people. Again, they had a terrible reputation. Uh, they were outcast in Jewish society. Uh, publicans were not, if you were a Jewish man and a publican, you were not allowed to be a judge. Uh, you were not allowed to be a witness in a court of law. Uh, you were not, again, you were, like I said earlier, you were excommunicated from the synagogue. Um, and not only that, again, you and your family, because they're associated with you, were a disgrace in the community. All right. So, again, Matthew was a publican. Uh, Levi here was a publican. Publicans were seen in the same class as sinners and harlots and heathen. All right. So, again, the lowest of the low, you couldn't get quite as low as a publican. What is interesting, however, is that as we study the life of Christ, we find multiple examples where publicans of all people were recipients of the grace of God. Again, where Jesus Christ sought out publicans and he saved them. He changed them. He transformed them. He went to the lowest of the low. He went to the outcast of society and he reached them with the message of salvation. Now, other people would avoid the publicans. And they, they, would, they would not want to be associated with a publican, especially a rabbi, right? a religious leader of the day. Again, you would not want to be associated with, with a publican. You would, not want, you would not want people to know that a publican was following you or that you had any connection with a publican. Again, that would ruin your reputation amongst your friends and family. All right. So, again, for Jesus Christ... Again, to go to publicans like Matthew here and call them to follow him, again, would have been scandalous. All right, this is something that would have been totally out of the ordinary and contrary to uh, the social expectations of that day. But we find that Jesus, again, others avoided him, but Jesus saw Matthew and saw Levi, this publican, and went to him and said two words here in verse number 14. It says, and said, he said unto him, follow me, follow me. Why would Jesus want a tax collector, a publican of all people, to be associated with him? Why would Jesus, again, want, want Matthew of all people to follow after him? Well, as we'll see, not just here, but in other examples in the Gospels, we'll see that Jesus Christ was sending a message to that society and to our society. You know, Jesus Christ was sending a message to the people of his day about why he came into this world. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. Yes, even publicans. Yes, even the lowest of the low. Even the chief of sinners, Jesus Christ came to save. And there's a reason why he went to men like Matthew. And he called men like Matthew to come and follow him. And he went, he went against the grain of society. But he was, he was sending forth this message of why he came. He had, came. he had come to save sinners, even the worst sinners, like publicans. Consider thirdly, consider the power of the call. The power of the call. Take a look at verse 14 again. Jesus comes to him. Jesus says to Matthew, follow me. And the Bible says, and he arose and followed him. All right, so when the call went forth, we find here that there was an immediate response on the part of Levi. Uh, we find here that Matthew arose, he followed him, uh, Luke 5, uh, the parallel passage, verse number 28, says he left all, rose up, and followed him. 
All right, so, so Christ made the call, follow me. Matthew left all. He left his, his, his sinful life behind him. You know, he left his, his dishonest business behind him. He rose up and he followed Christ. All right, immediately and with urgency, and he responded and he counted the cost. He counted the cost to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Turning his back on his old life. Turning his back upon his disreputable lifestyle. He left it all behind in order to follow after Jesus Christ. And I think what's especially significant, again, as we consider the fact that he counted the cost, is the fact that a publican, again, if, if, you, if you turned your back on that position, you were never allowed to be a publican again. All right, if you were a fisherman, you could go back and be a fisherman again. All right, there were other fishermen that Christ called. But as a publican, again, if you turned your back on that, you could never go back. It was a privileged position, all right? Uh, at least in the eyes of the Romans. But we find here, again, those those who were dishonest Jews. But we find that it was, um, again, a, 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 again a, a very costly decision for him to make. All right. At least from a at least from a human perspective, he turned his back upon his career. He turned his back upon his old lifestyle. We find here that Matthew put his hand to the plow, and for him, he recognized there was no turning back. He recognized there was no going back to his old ways. There was no going back to his, his dishonorable lifestyle before he knew Jesus Christ. And we find here that Matthew was willing to abandon anything that separated him from Jesus. If anything came in between him and Christ, he was willing to turn his back upon it. And we find that's what happened in Matthew's life. We look at the testimony of this man, and what we see, and, and again, as we follow his life through the scriptures, is we find a man that was totally transformed by the gospel. We find a man that was totally changed, again, and his life was completely transformed because of Jesus Christ. We find the power of Christ, again, that is extended to men whenever they receive the truth. Again, no, nobody has a saving encounter with Jesus Christ and leaves unchanged. No, a saving encounter with Jesus Christ, it changes a person. It leaves marks upon your life. Again, it, it, it changes you from the inside out. You're never the same person again. We find here that Matthew went from being a lover of money to being a lover of God. He desired God. He desired eternity. He desired heavenly things. He desired eternal pursuits, and he turned his back upon his worldly prestige and his worldly earthly position. And he was a new creature in Christ. He could say like Paul in Philippians 3, 7 through 8, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Again, if you read the book of Philippians, and we've, I, I preached through Philippians in the past, again, the Apostle Paul mentions all these things, all these earthly privileges that he had before he knew Christ. And Paul says, again, I'm done with it all. Again, those things that used to be gained to me, I used to count valuable, they're, they're nothing to me anymore. Again, I, I count them as nothing. I count them as loss for Christ. Yea, doubt this, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Paul says all those earthly accolades, all those earthly pursuits, all those, again, all that er earthly popularity and prestige that I was after, again, it's, 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 it's as dung. 
I don't want anything to do with it. It's worth, it's valueless compared to the treasure I have in Jesus Christ. Again, what I used to treasure in this world again, has lost its value. But what I have gained in Christ, again, I have received the real, the real treasure, what truly matters. Again, all those things that I once held on to, again, they're, they're counted as dung. You know, but all the things that I've gained in Christ, again, that is, the, those are the things that are truly valuable. And those are the things that are truly meaningful within my life. And we find that is the testimony of Matthew um, and also Paul in, in the book of Philippians. Let's continue on, though. The second thing that we see here is the celebration of the Savior, the celebration of the Savior. And a couple of things I want to take a look at here in verse 15 uh, let's read the verse first of all. It says, And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. A couple of things I want to take a look at, beginning with the gathering place. The gathering place, and that was uh, Levi's home. All right, Matthew was excited. All right, Levi was excited. Again, his life had just been changed. He had just met the Messiah. He had just, again, uh, began a relationship with the Son of God. His life is totally transformed. He has turned his back upon those empty, temporal, earthly pursuits. Again, the, the sin of his past life in order to follow after the true treasure, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Matthew throws a feast. All right, He has a feast. And again, he invites Christ to come as his guest of honor. All right, this feast is really focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 5, 29 says, And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. So he makes a feast for Christ. Again, he is, he is overwhelmed with gratitude. Again, he is thankful for all that Christ has done for him in saving him. And he has turned his back upon his old life. And now he is a true follower of Jesus Christ. Again, the Bible says, again, he celebrates that. Again, he throws a feast. That's, that's worthy of a celebration, right? That's worthy of throwing a great feast. We find here that he invites Christ to be his guest of honor. Christ was the one being celebrated at this feast. But there's a third group uh, that we find that is at this feast. Not only Christ, who's the guest of honor. Not only Levi, again, who, in whose house this feast is happening. But there's another group there as well. In a group of outcasts, a group that may surprise you that is there at this feast, the Bible describes them as publicans and sinners. Publicans and sinners. The Bible says many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. All right, so again, Christ is here. Again, Matthew is serving him. Levi is serving him. He has made this great spread of food. He has made this, this great feast for Christ, celebrating all that Christ has done for him. And clearly, again, it's, Matthew has invited all these others to come and join him. All right? He's invited these publicans. He's invited these sinners to come and join him for this, for this feast. It's likely that many of these publicans were Matthew's old associates. All right, those that Matthew would do business with, those that worked with him in his old dishonorable lifestyle, all right, those publicans of his past life, those, those old friends of his past life. And we find here that Matthew, again, now that, now that that was in the past, now he was a follower of Christ, now that his life had been transformed by the truth, 
Can we find that Matthew's choice to follow after Christ placed within him a strong desire for others to follow after Christ? All right, so now, again, Matthew has just started following Christ, but Matthew wants to go out and, again, go go to all his other publican friends of his past life and tell them to come follow Christ. And what a better way to introduce them to Christ than, than throwing a feast to celebrate Christ and inviting all his old publican friends to come along and to also meet Christ. And why? Because he wants them to experience the same life transformation, the same forgiveness, the same salvation that he has experienced in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what salvation will do to a person. Again, before I was saved, again, I, I uh, sure, again, I understood the Great Commission. I understood that that was the responsibility for Christians, but it really wasn't a, a passion of mine or a, or a, you know, even a strong desire of mine. But something changed when I got saved. Really, for the first time in my life, I had a desire to see other people get saved. I wanted to go tell my friends. I wanted to go tell all my old friends. I wanted to let people know about Jesus Christ. And that's what happens at salvation. It places within you a desire to see others come to know Christ as well. That is one of the signs of the new birth. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. So we find here Matthew goes out. Matthew maybe goes back to where he where he would go on a daily basis. And again, he, he goes out and he seeks out his old associates, his old business partners who were also dishonest extortioners. And he invites them, come along. And maybe he says, again, I have somebody I want you to meet. Again, I have somebody who has changed my life. Again, I'm not, I, I won't be at work on Monday. All right, I'm going a new direction. All right, I, I'm, going a, I'm going down a new path. Again, this man has changed my life. Come meet him. Again, there's, there's food involved, all right? But we find here that he, 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 his desire is to introduce, again, his old associates to Jesus Christ. Another thing, too, that is, that is worthy of consideration is the fact that Matthew was willing to open up his home as an evangelistic venue. All right. Now, oftentimes, again, our homes, that's our little, that's our little safe haven, right? Our, our, our safe zones where we can just get away. But Matthew was, was willing to open up his home, throw a great feast, invite all his old friends to come along. Why? So they could meet Jesus. So their lives could be changed too. Now, again, we don't know if any of them got saved or not. But again, we, we find here that there is this group of, of publicans and sinners that are at this feast with Jesus and, and Matthew and the other disciples as well. And that's important for us to recognize. Again, Matthew, we find here, he is a follower of Christ now. And because of that, he has a desire for others to follow after Jesus Christ as well. And that reminds us of why Christ saved us. And again, why he has kept us here. All right, Jesus Christ, again, has saved us out of the world in order to equip us with his word to go back into the world not to participate in their sin, but to show them the way of life, to show them the way of truth, to show them that there is salvation and there is forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that is our job, that we are ambassadors for Christ. He has left us here for that purpose, to go into the world and to rescue as many in the world, out of the world and unto Christ as we can. That is our mission. That ought to be the heartbeat of this church. That ought to be the heartbeat of every individual in here. Again, to go out and to see others saved. And I ask you this morning, what are you doing to reach those 
God has placed in your circle of influence. Like we saw last week, again, you, you can't save anybody. You know, the, these four friends who brought their paralytic friend to Christ, again, they couldn't get through the doorway, so they went up on top of the house. They, they pulled up some of the tile, and they let their friend down to Christ. Again, they couldn't save him. They couldn't heal him. This man was paralyzed. But what they could do is they could bring him to the one who could heal them. And that's what we can do. You know, we can't save anybody as much as I desire that every single person on planet Earth gets saved. Again, I can't do that. But you know what I can do? I can, I can show them the one. I can proclaim to them the one who can save them. I can tell them about the one who changed my life. I can tell them about the one who forgave me of my sins and gave me a new life. That's one thing I can do. And I can take desperate measures to do it as well. And just like those four men did in, in, last week's, in last week's sermon. You know, we need to lift up our eyes. We need to look around us. We need to recognize that the world is our mission field. The world is our mission field. Our homes are our mission field. Our neighborhoods are our mission field. Our workplaces are our mission field. You know, the world is our mission field. The grocery store is your mission field. I mean, again, our mission field is everywhere. And as we, as we exit those doors, again, we are literally entering into our mission field. All right, it doesn't have to be the jungles of, uh, of South Africa all right, or, the, uh, again, somewhere in Africa. No, this is your mission field. Again, are you reaching those around you with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Again, another thing, too, I think is worthy uh, is, is uh, again, is significant here is the fact that Matthew was willing to use his home. Now, again, I don't, I don't know what it is, and again, maybe you can uh, help me understand this a little bit, a little bit better. But again, there, there's something about having people into your home and sitting around a dinner table and serving them food that just helps you connect with those people a whole lot, a whole lot easier. There's something about serving people a, a feast and a meal where they just open up to you and they just. You know, you know, just you're able to have conversations in a lot easier, easier, in a lot easier way. Again, I don't know what what there is to that, um, but again, I think there is something to that, and we find here that Matthew was willing to have a meal with Christ as the guest of honor, invite all his old unsaved friends to come along, so they they could meet the one who changed his life. Again, maybe that's something you could consider. Again, I, I think you got to use wisdom. I think you got to use. Uh, discretion, and you never want to compromise the message or the method of evangelism. Uh, again, but maybe you're in a season of life where you say, um, you know, I, I have a friend or I have a family member, I have a neighbor who is unsaved. Again, I'm going to have them over, and maybe I'll have them over the next couple of weeks. You know, once a week, uh, serve them a delicious meal, go out of my way to make it a an, an inviting and warm place. You know, and and then you try to open up doors for the conversation to lead to the gospel. That's a great way to share the gospel. That's a great way to share Christ with those, with those around you. Let's continue on, though, in our text here this morning. Take a look at verse number 16. And we find here that not everybody is happy, just like we saw last week. Uh, we find here the criticism from the self-righteous. The criticism from the self-righteous. Take a look at verse number 16. The Bible says, and when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, how is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Now, last week we saw that there is a, there is a contention between Jesus 
and the religious leaders of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees, the established, uh, the, the religious establishment of his day, there is this growing contention between Christ and them. And we saw that beginning last week, and we're, we're, we see this continuing on this week, and we'll see this just the, these, these flames being fanned over uh, the next couple of weeks as we, as we work our way through the Gospel of Mark. A couple of things I want to point out. First of all, who are the critics? The critics are the scribes and Pharisees. All right, the scribes and the Pharisees. So these scribes and Pharisees, again, they come along and they are watching. Uh, they are looking uh, to catch Christ and be able to, and again, in his words or his actions in such a way where they can accuse him of something. Again, they are beginning to see Jesus Christ as a threat uh, to their corrupt religious practices, all right, to, to their corrupt, self-righteous, works-based system of religion. Now, many of these scribes and Pharisees, they had departed from the word of God long ago. Again, they, had, again, they, they may have uh, claimed to have allegiance to the word of God, but they didn't. They, they had developed, again, all these, all these human traditions and, again, placed those um, on par with the authority of God's word or even above the authority of God's word. And again, we'll come back to the Pharisees and scribes and the scribes as we work our way through the gospel of Mark here, and we'll, we'll learn more about them. Uh, but something that was characteristic about the scribes and especially the Pharisees is was their externalism in religion. Now again, God, God again, God doesn't just um, overlook the external does matter, but again, God wants the heart. And again, we we dealt with that in depth with the Sermon on the Mount. Again, if God can get your heart, I mean, God can get all of you. You know, if, if your heart really belongs to Christ, again, then then every part of you belongs to Him. Uh, but we find that the Pharisees, they boasted in their external veneer of righteousness. Jesus Christ would accuse them of being hypocrites. Jesus Christ would accuse them of being whitewashed sepulchers. All right, they looked beautiful on the outside, but within they were full of dead men's bones. All right, they were corrupt to the core. All right, and, 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 and Jesus, again, exposes them for this. He shows their hypocrisy. He brings, it out, he brings it out in the open, and he shows them that their hearts have never been transformed by the grace of God, which leads to true righteousness, both internal and external. Okay, these religious leaders of Israel were full of pride. Their faith was in a law-based, works-based system of salvation, and they looked upon Jesus Christ with a critical spirit. They, they tried to find some way to discredit Jesus Christ. And their man-made, works-based system of salvation was not good news for a sinner because there's no way that a publican could be saved. And under their understanding of, of Scripture and their, their idea of God and religion and salvation, it was not good news for a sinner. All right. Again, they were the guardians of God's law, even though they had twisted and corrupted God's law. At least they saw themselves as the guardians of God's law. But again, the, the, the Pharisees, they were no friend to sinners. And that is probably one reason why Jesus, why they had such hatred towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ would go to sinners and he would offer them forgiveness if they would repent. All right, Jesus Christ would go to publicans of all people. I mean, who would go to a publican? There's no hope for a publican, right? Well, Jesus Christ would go to the publicans. He was willing to go to the worst of the worst in order to make them a trophy of his grace, 
and to show the world, here's what I can do. Here is the power of the gospel, that I can take a publican, that I can forgive him of his sins, that I can wash him, cleanse him, and transform him totally. That's the power of God. That is the power of the gospel. Jesus Christ, again, came to save people like Matthew, to save the worst of the worst. And Jesus truly was a friend of sinners. Their criticism. Again, they said, how is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Again, there's some people who like to uh, again, take what Christ is doing here and try to twist it and say, well, look at Christ. Again, it's, it's, it's okay for us to go and you know, live like the world and, 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 and party like the world and do all the things the world does because Jesus did it right. Again, no, that's not, that's not what this is saying. All right, Jesus Christ ate with sinners, but he didn't sin with sinners. You see the difference? Jesus Christ was willing to sit down and have a meal with lost people to call them to repentance. All right, but he didn't sin with them. Right? He, wasn't, he wasn't condoning their sin, no, but Jesus Christ was willing to go to publicans, willing to go to sinners, even if the Pharisees uh, again, gave him a hard time for it. I said, what are you doing, even be, getting close to these people, even having a meal? I mean, a meal was a sign that you were welcoming these people, that you were associated with them in Bible times. Again, why would Jesus do that? Because he came to save them. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, even publicans, that believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. So in their eyes, Jesus having a meal with publicans and sinners was unacceptable. And take a look at verse number 17, the clarification of the Savior. The clarification of the Savior. Take a look at verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them. So he's, he's, responding, he's responding to the Pharisees and to the scribes. All right, how dare Christ? Why is he eating with publicans and sinners? Here's how Jesus responds to them. They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus Christ reminded them of why he came into the world. You can notice here, he uses, first of all, this illustration uh, again, of, of, a, of a sick person and a physician. All right? He says, first of all, he says, they that are whole, speaking of those that are healthy. Right? A person that, that is healthy, again, has no need of a physician. All right? a, a person who thinks he's doing well physically and, and is healthy and has no health issues, um, again, why would he go visit a doctor? And he sees, he sees no need for a cure because to him, he has no sickness. He's just fine. He's good to go. You know, he, has, he, has, he has great health. And again, in his mind, he has no disease. Therefore, he has no need for a cure. He doesn't have a need for the physician. And in the spiritual realm, this mentality was a representative of the Pharisees and the scribes. In their eyes, again, they had no need of a savior. Again, what sin are you talking about? I mean, we're, 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 the, we're the best of the best. I mean, we are, we're, we're, the, we're the religious leaders of the day. And they rejected the Son of God. They rejected the Messiah because of their pride. Because in their eyes, they were good to go. In their eyes, they were pleasing to God Again, in their own righteousness. But Jesus will make it clear. No, you're not. You need somebody else's righteousness. You need my righteousness credited to your account. Because you have no righteousness on your own. You need the righteousness of God, and he offers that to you. 
But the Pharisees and scribes, they were too blind. They were, they were too much blinded by their pride and their self-righteousness to even recognize, here's the Messiah. The Messiah can save me. But they didn't see the need for the Messiah. They didn't see a need for a Savior. Because to them, they were healthy. They were whole. They were spiritually well without God, without, without a, a Savior who could forgive them of their sins. They were too proud to admit that they were sinners in need of Jesus. And there are many people in our world like that today. Probably, I mean, that's probably the, the, the main reason why most people don't come to Christ. And we have the good news of the gospel, but sometimes sometimes I sit back and wonder again, why don't people flock to the gospel? I mean, this is like the greatest news ever. I mean, this has, this has changed my life. I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven of all my sins through Jesus Christ. I have peace with God. What good news. And then you go out and you proclaim to the world and you wonder, again, everybody else isn't as excited as you are about it. Um, you know, and sometimes you wonder why. And I think a big reason for that is because of people's pride. Is because it is people's pride that keeps them from admitting that they are a sinner, that they are a lawbreaker, that they are undone, that they are without hope outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they are lawbreakers in the sight of a holy God. And people don't want to admit that. People don't want to admit that. Why? Because that's humiliating. I mean, that's, that's humiliating to say, again, I'm, I'm not a good person. I'm a terrible person. I, I violated God's law. And I need forgiveness, and I need grace, and I need mercy. That's a humbling thing to do, isn't it? But most people won't get saved because, again, they're too proud to admit that they are sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus goes on and he says, again, those who do need a a physician are those that are sick. Again, the the healthy, the whole, don't see their need for a a doctor because they, they don't have any disease in their eyes there's no need for a cure if they're not sick but who who goes to the physician those that are sick all right it is people that are sick that go to visit the doctor and in the spiritual realm again this was representative of the publicans and the sinners they represented the sick ones again they represented the ones especially matthew here again he represented one who was humble enough to recognize his sin and his need of a savior. And he was humble enough to recognize that he was a sinner, that he was a great sinner in need of an even greater savior, that he was a sinner, that he had violated God's law and that he needed mercy and that he needed grace and that he needed the Lord Jesus Christ. He was humble enough to recognize that. And it's the same thing in our world today. You know, so many people won't, won't, won't ever receive the gospel and they will, they, will, they will die, and they will die in their sins, and they will go to hell for eternity. And that's a tragedy. Because they can be saved. They could have been saved. If only they would have humbled themselves and forsook their pride and said, God, I am, I am a wretch. God, I am, I am unclean. God, I am a sinner, and I'm the worst of them. God, and I need your mercy, and I need your grace. You know what God does? Whenever somebody comes to him like that, God extends his mercy. God delights in a broken heart, a heart that is broken over sin. God looks to the one who who has a contrite spirit, the one who is repentant, the one who says, God, I own my sin. I'm done blaming others. 
It's not, it's not, it's not my, my, it's not uh, again anyone else's fault. It's not my, my parents' fault or my children's fault or my siblings' fault or my coworkers' fault or, or my spouse's fault or anyone else's fault. My sin is my responsibility, and God, I own it. And God, I deserve judgment because of my sin. And God, I recognize that. But God, I need mercy. And God, I need grace. And God, I need salvation. And God is rich in mercy. And God will shower his mercy upon those who come to him with a contrite heart. Not the proud. God gives the proud. Bible says God gives grace to the humble. God extends his grace. God pours out his grace to those who are sick and those who are humble enough to recognize, God, I am sick. I am, again, I, I am, I am full of, of, of spiritual leprosy. I am full of sin, and I need mercy, and I need salvation through Jesus Christ. Let's continue on, though. Take a look at verse number 17 again. Jesus drives home this point, and he says, I came not to call the righteous. Again, I believe he's referring to here the self-righteous and those who are deluded enough to think that they are uh, righteous without Jesus. Those who are too proud to admit their sin. Those who are deluded enough to think that, again, they're going to go to heaven because they're just good people. All right, Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous. Who did he come to call? He, called, he came to call sinners to repentance. Jesus didn't come to call the scribes and Pharisees. Again, as long as they were too proud to admit their sin. Now, if they would humble themselves, again, they could be saved. But as long as they walked in pride and said, again, I have no need of that. I'm a good person. I'm, a, I'm an upstanding person. I mean, what sin have I done? I don't have any need of a savior. What? Repentance? Repent of what? And Christ says, Christ, Christ can't save somebody like that, again, unless they humble themselves. Christ says, I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. And that's good news for a sinner. That's good news for Matthew. That's good news for Levi. Again, he recognized it probably wasn't very hard for him to recognize that he was a sinner. You know, I, I've done in the past, it's been a while, again, but I was able to be a part of a, of a prison ministry uh, when I lived down in Florida, and we would go up. Again, I wasn't an inmate, but I was able to go up, me and, me and another guy from the church, and we were able to uh, preach the word of God on a certain night of the week. And, um, you know, whenever you're dealing with convicts, a lot of them, you don't have to do a whole lot of convincing to, uh, for them to recognize that they're, they're bad dudes. I mean, they're bad people. They're, they're lawbreakers. Uh, but it's usually, you know, the, the guy who's got it all together. You know, the guy who, you know, is, is, a, is a top executive in a business, you know, who, who has a fancy house and a fancy car and, again, has, has all these accomplishments and went to a prestigious university and all these things, again, and he passed himself on the back because of all these grand accomplishments in his life and all these earthly accolades that have been placed upon him. He doesn't see a need for a savior. I mean, in his eyes, he doesn't see his sin. I'm not saying a person like that can't be saved. They can but it's a lot harder to, to convince somebody like that that they're a sinner in need of salvation than it is somebody who's already at the bottom, you know? Uh, somebody who, 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 who is, uh, again, you know, up at the, again, I, I, I was just speaking with somebody, uh, you know, up at the manor uh, this past Sunday, you know, and he was telling me that, you know, he, he used to be a convict. He used to be in prison in Los Angeles, and God saved him. You know, and he was telling me his testimony, and he was. We were singing "Amazing Grace," and I mean, he—I could tell that he was just overwhelmed by the truth of the song, because he knew what it was to be a wretch, and he knew that the song applied to him, because he was that wretch, but he had been saved by the grace of God. 
Again, those who recognize are humble enough to recognize their sin, again, will see, will be much more likely to see their need of a Savior and flee to Christ for salvation. Romans 3.10, the Bible makes it clear, there is none righteous, no, not one. All right, so again, if you're out witnessing and you talk to somebody and they say, well, I'm a pretty good person, you can say, actually, they may not like this, but you could, you could say, actually, the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. All right, in case you were thinking you were the one, the Bible says, no, not, not even one. All right, none of us are. None of us fall in that righteous category. We, fall, we all fall in that unclean category by nature because we are sinners by nature and by choice. All right, we are sons and daughters of Adam. All right, and we have the same sin nature that he did again, after he, he disobeyed God. And if, they, if, if they're still not convinced, Mark 10, 18, Jesus said, There is none good but one, that is God. All right, so again, God is good, we're not good. All right, it's, it's, it's simple theology. Practical theology, but people have to recognize that. You can take them through the law of God. Show them, show them the mirror of God's law. Show them how again most people don't. Most people think that they're good with God. Again, most people think that again God is going to let them into heaven one day because they have a low view of God. Because they think God is like us. You know, God may be a little higher than us, but not that much higher than us. Again, and that's why they think that well, God will probably accept me. No, God is a holy God. God is a God is a just God, and God God hates sin. God cannot sin. God must punish sin, but God is also a merciful God. You know, people have to recognize: no, we are not righteous in and of ourselves. We have no righteousness of our own. The Bible says even the best we can do is as filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. There's nothing we can offer to God. There's no way we can we can bribe Him for salvation and say, God, look at my look at my uh, good works. Thinking that God's going to accept you because of your good works? No, he's not. God's a holy God. Even if you've sinned once, which I'm sure many of us have sinned much more than that, then you are a lawbreaker, and God's justice demands punishment because of that sin. But the Bible makes it clear that Jesus is the answer. That Jesus is the answer. That Jesus is the one who alone can forgive sins and change a person's heart and cleanse those sins away. And make them a new creature in Christ. Again, God will credit his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, to your account. It's called imputed righteousness. God will credit that to your account. Again, your sins placed upon Christ, again, placed on his account, again, which he was punished for upon Calvary. But then you get his righteousness in exchange. Again, you don't deserve that. But that's what justification is all about. Again, God credits his righteousness to our account. God declares us righteous, not because we're righteous, but because Christ is righteous. And because we, by faith, have received his gift of righteousness, his gift of salvation, God credits that, credits that to our account. We are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when God sees us as his children, those of us who have repented and believed the gospel, God sees us as positionally righteous. And come back to the verse here in verse 17. Jesus came not to call the righteous, that's the self-righteous, but sinners. Again, who are those that he's speaking to? Those who acknowledge their sin, those who are willing to admit their sin and their need of forgiveness. Christ has come to call them to repentance. I want to share a quote with you that I came across this past week from one Bible teacher. And he says this. He says, there are three kinds of patients whom Jesus cannot heal of their sin of sickness. Number one. Those who do not know about him. And there's many people who maybe they don't know about Christ. Maybe they don't know that there's salvation in Christ. Number two, 
those who know about him but refuse to trust him. And maybe you know people like that who know about Christ. I mean, they've been presented the gospel, but they, for whatever reason, they refuse to trust him. Or number three, those who will not admit that they need him. And that's a lot of people. They say, who are you to call me a sinner? You know, who are you to, who are you to tell me that I need a savior? But there's many people like that. They're too proud to admit their sin. They're too proud to admit that they need Jesus Christ. Again, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, they fall into that category. They were too proud to admit that they needed Jesus Christ, that they needed forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And this, this commentator goes on. He says, unless we admit that we are sinners deserving of God's judgment, we cannot be saved. Why? Because Jesus saves only sinners. All right, let me read that last part again. Unless we admit that we are sinners deserving of God's judgment, we cannot be saved. Jesus saves only sinners. That's good news for sinners. Again, if, if, if people are humble enough to recognize that, you know, and, and, to, and to see their need of a Savior. Now, if you're here today and you say, again, I don't, I don't know, I'm, I don't have, you know, 100% assurance that, again, my sins have been forgiven. And I don't know if I've been born again. I don't know if I've ever repented and believed upon Christ for salvation. Then the Bible makes it clear that Jesus offers you, you know, full salvation, free salvation, full and free forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. But my, my challenge to you would be don't let pride get in the way. Now, pride gets in the way of so many things. Pride gets in the way not just of salvation, but even for believers, spiritual progress. You know, because we don't want to admit that there's sin in our life. We don't want to admit that we need help. And it's often pride that keeps us from growing in Christ. You know, but to those who don't know Christ, again, don't let pride keep you from, uh, from getting to Jesus Christ. Don't let your reputation, don't let, what, don't let the fear of man, don't let what others think, are going to think about you. You know, again, in a crowd like this, maybe you say, again, well, nobody, everybody thinks I'm saved. Again, why would you, why would you go to hell over what other people think? And if you're not sure that you're saved, get saved. Again, believe upon Jesus Christ. Again, come before God with a humble heart. Saying, God, I know that I've sinned. Again, and, and mean it from the heart. God, I, I, have, I have violated your law. God, I, I admit my sinfulness before you. God, and I need mercy. God, I need forgiveness. And God, I, I repent of my sin. And God, I trust in Christ and Christ alone to save me. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Outside of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how religious you are. Outside of Jesus Christ, you are unclean in his sight. You are spiritually filthy in his sight. You are sinful in his sight. You, you have no righteousness of your own in his sight, and you need his righteousness. You need his cleansing. You need his forgiveness. But you have to humble yourself and come to that place where these Pharisees should have come and where Matthew did come. Willing to admit, God, I am a sinner. God, again, I, I, I surrender to you. You win. God, I, I'm done going my way. I want to go your way. God, I need your righteousness. God, I need your forgiveness. God, I need your cleansing. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, again, I know that I, I've been cleansed and I've been saved. And, and like Matthew, my life has been transformed. You know, again, I still, yes, the sanctification process is still going on. Again, and it will go on until the day you die. And there's still maybe a lot of areas you need to grow in. But again, I know Christ has saved me. Again, I know that I have been saved by the grace of God, that my life has been changed, that I am a new creature in Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this morning in closing, what is your attitude towards the lost? What is your attitude towards the lost? 
You know, whenever I, whenever I look at the world around me, again, I expect lost people to act like lost people. Again, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, they do, they do what they do by nature. And that, that's, the, that's their sinful nature that is, that is driving them to do what they do. You know, we, we look at just the, the depravity within our, within our nation, and it's so easy to be, become just frustrated and angry with lost people. You know, and again, yes, there is a sense of frustration, you know, and, and, and uh, maybe even righteous anger that, that may be included with that. But at the same time, again, do you, do, does your heart break for the lost? You know, as, you see, as you see this generation coming up, you know, I, I shared on, I forget what day that was, maybe on Sunday night, the fact that Generation Z, I think is what it's called, again, the most atheistic generation, again, in American history. The, the most post-Christian, secularized, humanized, humanistic generation in American history? Does your heart break for them? Again, I know my heart breaks for them. I want to see them come to know Christ. And they're being indoctrinated and brainwashed you know, by, our, by, our, by so many, you know, by, by entertainment and by uh, social media and by so many other venues. But does your heart break for them? Again, are you willing to go to them and share Christ with them? You know, Jesus didn't hang around sinners in order to condone their sin. You know, Jesus didn't hang around with sinners to, uh, to sin with them, obviously. You know, Jesus was holy and harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, the Bible says. But Jesus was willing to step out of his comfort zone, you know, and involve his life with the life of a sinner in order to reach them with the gospel. You know, and, and, and put up, you know, with some of the things you may have to put up with, you know, in order to reach them with the gospel. In order to call them to repentance, in order to show them that there is hope, that there is forgiveness, that there is grace and there is mercy with God. And Jesus Christ came on a rescue mission, and I ask you this morning, is his mission your mission? You know, is, 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 is again, are, are you on the same mission? Are you on the mission with him? You, trying to share and proclaim Christ and seeking the salvation of the lost. And so a lot to challenge us this morning. And I hope you take to heart what has been said. Uh, again, and respond to how the Lord has, has worked in your heart this morning. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we come before you, Lord. And God, we just thank you, Father, for the truth before us. God, we thank you for the testimony of, of Matthew, Lord, and how you went to him, Lord, a publican, an outcast, one whom society would, uh, Lord, not even, many in society would not even get close to. Or no, most people would not want to be associated with a Matthew. Lord, but Jesus was willing to go to him in order to give him new life. Jesus was willing to go out of his way, Lord, to win him to himself. God, I thank you, Lord, for the grace of God. I thank you, God, that you have come as the great physician to call sinners to repentance. God, those who are infected with the disease of sin, which is all of us, God, if we're humble enough to admit it, God, in need of grace, in need of mercy. God, I do pray, Lord, maybe there, there's someone here today, God, and maybe they don't know for sure, Lord, that they have been saved. God, maybe they're trusting in, in uh, the religion of, of, of another family member or, Lord, the, Lord, just uh, religious duties that they have done, but they've never been truly saved. God, I pray, Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. God, whenever they, Lord, come to you, Lord, forsake their pride, humble themselves. Lord, admit their lostness, repent of their sin, and trust in Christ and Christ alone to be saved. God, I pray for those of us here this morning, God, who know Christ, who, Lord, know Christ as our Lord and Savior. God, that we will look upon a lost and dying world with hearts of compassion. 
God, that our hearts would, would break for the lost. God, that our hearts would weep for the lost. God, that we would, Lord, go out of our way, Father, to reach them with the gospel. God, that we would go to the publicans and sinners of our society, Lord. And God, that we wouldn't just ostracize them, God, but we would go out of these doors and that we would go to them, Lord, and that we would uh, find ways to win them. Maybe that means opening up, uh, somebody opening up their home and having a neighbor over for dinner or, or a family member in order to share Christ with them. I don't know how that looks, God, for every single person, but I pray, God, that we'd have hearts that are uh, submitted to this challenge, to this reality. Lord, to be fishers of men. Lord, to win others for Christ. And God, to truly be a friend of sinners. God, so we can win them to Christ and call them to repentance. And God, I, I, I thank you, God, just for the truth again, Lord. Help us, God, to apply it to our hearts. And God, I pray this in Jesus' name.